This is Big Sky Lead, a dive into the stories about how government and politics drive the direction of Montana. This podcast is from the reporters of the Montana State News Bureau in Helena, your eyes and ears on state government. It's produced by me, Tom Bridge. Our team brings you an examination of Montana's new landscape with new laws, a new governor, and a new Republican dominance across all of state government. I'm here with Seaborn Larson of the Montana State News Bureau, and we just wrapped up a week-long uh, series uh, examining Montana's road to recreational cannabis. Um, Seaborn, it's January 2022. Uh, where are we at in terms of cannabis legalization in Montana? Yeah, we are basically in uh, full-blown legalization now. The mm-hmm. Um, sales started Saturday on New Year's. Um, we've now got information from the Department of Revenue that um, over the first weekend of recreational sales, uh, you know, Montana providers sold $1.5 million worth of cannabis products um, around the state. And so it's, um, it's pretty interesting just to see those first numbers. I, th- I think I had heard from a lot of providers that uh, they were expecting maybe a million dollars in sales in that uh, first day or first weekend. And um, we kind of smashed that with the addition of medical sales. It was basically two million. So that's kind of where we are sitting at. Um, You know, obviously I think there's kind of a first weekend rush to, uh, to get it just because it's, I mean, it's new. Um, So I don't know if that, those kind of sales numbers are going to hold up, Mm -hmm. but um, I certainly think we're set up for another couple of days like this once tourism season hits and, in the early summer. Okay. So, um, basically what's new is that people can go to a dispensary as long as they're over 21 and Mm -hmm. buy recreational cannabis. And why don't you, before we go too far into that, um, remind people what the rules are that were set by the, the legislature, um, enacting this ballot initiative. Yeah, that's a good idea. So, um, Anybody over the age of 21 can possess up to one ounce of cannabis or 18 grams of concentrates. Um, At your home, you can grow four plants total. That's two mature plants and two seedlings. Unless you're medical, then um, that bumps up to four mature plants and four seedlings. Um, If you're driving around with it, like you just left the dispensary, it has to be in the trunk of a car or in the glove box or kind of a closed container. Um, basically the idea is out of reach for a driver, for passengers. Um, and then you can't smoke it in public. I think, uh, that's a $50 fine if you are, um, you know, caught with that or you can't, uh, possess it in certain places, obviously like a healthcare setting or school, it's still illegal. Um, you can also cannot possess it in a hotel room according to the state law. So, um, that's kind of generally... Uh, I think the the average users kind of guidelines right there, and people can find out more by looking at uh, the the law that was passed. That's House Bill seven hundred one. Right, yeah. right. Um, so marijuana isn't necessarily new to Montana. Uh, we've had a medical industry since two thousand four, um, but saturday was characterized as a historic day with regards to marijuana in montana so why don't you kind of show us how different it is now um even though it's been around since 2004. yeah i think um it definitely feels like a lot of the providers we talk to at least 
in our reporting had have sort of been preparing for uh, this change for uh, you know a couple of years, even before um, voters legalized recreational marijuana use in 2020. Um, just when that campaign was getting started, a lot of providers talked about um, just, I mean, scaling up their operations then to try to get ahead of mm-hmm. uh, the the kind of the, the corner that we just turned. And so, um, you know, there's not, and I think the kind of atmosphere speaks to that, you know, it's not, even with the medical industry having been a lot around so long, it's definitely not a read or it's not a, uh, you know, pharmacy kind of feel when you go into these places. Right. It's definitely retail. Right. And, um, you know, aside from just the change to recreational, now we're also seeing uh, this change from, um, you know, vertical integration to horizontal integration. And I'll get into that in a second. But I mean, first off, the, the retail market, um, you know, the big mystery right now is just inventory. And right. it's really hard to get specific about what kind of numbers you can see. And you can sort of put together the statistics of, you know, 15% of adults nationwide uh, smoke cannabis. You know, we've got, um, I think there are roughly 40,000 medical marijuana providers or medical marijuana card holders mm-hmm. in the state, but we get 12 million uh, tourists through the state every year. So, I mean, you can kind of put together all these combinations and right. try to come up with a number, but it's really, um, I mean, I don't know if anybody could have predicted the sales we did last weekend, if everyone was predicting at 1 million and we, you know, topped that pretty hard. Right, right. So the state projects 130 million in sales through the whole year, um, that would roughly double the medical sales in the year before. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of hard. It's yet to be seen if providers can uh, really you know, keep up inventory with the market that we're going to have. To protect that inventory, some providers are going to move their prices up. Um, and you know that alone can kind of tweak all those other variables that we talk about that go into trying to predict inventory. So how can now that... Um, so the idea is that... People are concerned, providers, medical patients, industry watchers are concerned that there may be an inventory um, depletion based on the high demand now that rec sales are open. Right. That and sort of the, um, you got to, you have to also remember that during the medical industry, you know, providers were were essentially kept at a certain growing capacity until they could show that they were growing more. So, I mean, the whole industry was basically set up to just um, only grow as much as people were going to buy. And now now we just have this wide open market. Okay, so now, but now another shift that came with the new law is this uh, move away from a vertical mm-hmm. platform to a horizontal, um, horizontally integrated market, meaning that you don't, you know, cultivators no longer have to be retailers. Right. Now you can just be a cultivator. You can just be a retailer. You can just be a manufacturer. Yeah, you could just do edibles. So how has the shift to this horizontal integration, or at least as we look forward with this inventory, this possible inventory issue, how does the horizontal integration help um, alleviate those issues for providers? Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how... Um, you know, smaller providers who don't have a big grow operation um, might be able to better weather the um, sort of the new sales, new market, just because through um, this horizontal integration, um, other, like say another big, big provider who just wants to grow can now 
you know, supply, they, they can wholesale their product to those smaller providers and right. keep keep stuff on the shelf. At the same time, those smaller providers, if they say, you know, kind of um, dabbled in edibles, but then they had to, they it was such an investment to keep their kitchen up to code and regulated or, you know, uh, just maintenance on all right. that stuff, they can now let go of that process. So it's now easier to just be retail or just be a grower, just do manufacturing. And um, I think it's going to be a big change for a lot of providers just to say, like, oh, all we want to do is edibles. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't, you know, we don't want to deal with uh, the whole growing operation. But it's it's kind of um, hard to see where that those lines are going to fall right now as of, you know, where we're at. It's January 5th, you know, six days ago, everybody had to be um, vertically integrated. And right. so uh, those changes are going to are gonna come slow, and I think um, a big part of it is going to be where the market tends to push people. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Um, but that's definitely, uh, you know, one of the bigger changes. And I think there's also another kind of uh, intangible change in here in that um, – you know this this market. And I've been covering the medical industry for a couple of years, but this market does, or the industry tends to be uh, kind of cutthroat at times. Mm-hmm. And I think this horizontal integration, along with um, sort of the concern that everyone's going to run out, you know, this kind of brings everybody together a little bit more in terms right. of wanting to wanting to work together a little bit to make sure that everybody can uh, keep their shelves stocked. And so, that you know, it's brought the industry together enough to at least help people finalize contracts with well and up until now there was never even an ability to you know move product at a wholesale from one license to another license you know so this is a new this is a brave new world for them not only in that is there's an entire new recreational market opened but now there's an entire network of wholesale and network of other uh, manufacturers and you know and this opens up the ability to for people to brand specific products you know exactly yeah if you have you know product that you're wholesaling to an area of the state that you don't even have dispensaries then all of a sudden your brand is up on somebody else's shelf somewhere else right. and you know that person then makes a trip to Missoula or Bozeman where they do find that retail then they've already got that name brand kind of recognition okay okay um, and now you know, the, you know, as we look at what's different and what has changed since 2004, um, let's remind people that uh, oversight and regulation of the industry has also changed in state government. Yeah, right. Definitely. The um, the state health department had run the uh, medical industry with some uh, mixed results over the last 17 years. Um, a big part of the change that came with the legalization is now the Department of Revenue oversees uh, the cannabis industry. Mm-hmm. That's the new recreational program and the medical industry. And, um, you know, if that sounds strange, I think um, it's it's easy to forget the Department of Revenue also regulates alcohol. Mm-hmm. And so if you kind of consider it in the same uh, sort of market, I mean, the medical industry I think for for patients I don't I don't think there's going to be much change for them uh, for providers it's just dealing with a new agency in state government and for the most part people we've talked to um, have been um, you know pretty happy with the Department of Revenue's um, 
just ability to be agile and be responsive right. to their concerns as we're, everyone's going through these changes right now. But certainly there have been some kinks. Um, <clears throat> you know, the rulemaking process where the Department of Revenue sort of fills in the gaps that uh, legislators didn't write into their um, huge legalization bill last year. Um, you know, there's been some sort of miscommunications, some misinterpretations, uh, but, um, you know, like the providers we spoke to said, they have been responsive to the industry and, and sort of uh, made the most out of, um, you know, every day that they spent trying to stand up this recreational program. And so, you know, we saw Saturday that um, pretty much everywhere, uh, you know, providers were, were making sales without much of a hitch. There was one place we went where um, the point of sale system was down and it, um, right. you know, yep. they had some uh, some room to uh, to record those transactions and, and uh, kind of get get their point of sale system straightened out. And so, I mean, the, um, the fact that we're able to get those uh, total sales numbers two days after, um, you know, the recreational market, is, has opened is, is kind of a testament to um, how well this was set right. up when they only had six months to do it. So, right, right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how um, how the Department of Revenue is, is able to stay on top of this. The Cannabis Control Division that they just started up this year is mostly made up of um, people who transferred from the medical program mm-hmm. at the State Health Department, and so um, certainly it's not the you know their first rodeo with this. Right, right. And I think about how... You know, when we talk about how providers uh, prepared for this pivot, we we see a lot of places that had kind of scaled up their operation. And uh, Tom, you had gone into uh, one of the largest providers um, facilities in Montana. Uh, that's Bloom here mm-hmm. outside of Helena. And I'm just I'm just curious if you could kind of like, you know, we're on a podcast, and if you could just kind of describe for right. listeners what I mean, what what did you see? What what kind of goes into um, to this process and this product. Right. Um, and like Seaborn said, Bloom, um, it's definitely one of the largest operations in the state. It employs 220 people um, and operates under a tier 12 license um, from the Department of Revenue, which is the largest growing capacity available to providers. Um, Seaborn and I both spoke with co-owner John Hoofman, um, and he said that Bloom began preparing for a recreational market um, in mid 2020, basically on a wager um, that Bloom bet that voters would approve legalization. And, uh, you know, since then, the business has been building out its cultivation and retail infrastructure. Um, and yeah, so I, you know, I spent, I spent a couple of days out there uh, at one of their operations here outside of Helena, and it was, it was busy. Um, yeah. You know, it was, they, they were basically, um, the idea was, you know, getting ready for the recreational market. And, uh, you know, there, I, I had a chance to tour their, their cultivation process, um, which was brimming and, and then, you know, all the way down to their packaging and their kind of logistics. Um, and, you know. Hoofman said all along that they were going to be ready and, you know, the amount of product that they had, um, in the hopper for the, the opening day on January 1st, um, really spoke to that. Definitely. Um, so Seaborn in 2020, um, Montana voters legalized recreational cannabis so anyone can possess it or use it. 
but they're actually not able to purchase it everywhere in the state, right? Yeah, and um, you know th- that I think that's still confusing for some people who haven't been paying really close attention, um, which makes sense because there's a lot of rules that that came out of uh, legalization in a pretty short time, and so. Um, anyone in Montana, you don't even have to be a resident, but anybody in Montana can possess and uh, consume or, you know, uh, drive with uh, marijuana. And so, you know, that is statewide. But the counties are largely split between those that don't do and don't allow recreational cannabis sales. And so that split um, basically came about as a compromise uh, between, um, you know, the majority of legislators, Republicans, who are still kind of conflicted about marijuana, even though, um, you know, a large, large portion of Montanans voted for it, the majority, obviously. And um, so the the split comes along the lines of whether or not um, that county, like, voted or did not vote for marijuana legalization in the 2020 election. So... You know, we now have uh, 29 counties where you can sell recreational cannabis and 27 that, um, that, that it can't be sold. But I think 17 of those counties um, already don't have uh, any medical marijuana providers mm-hmm. or didn't before legalization. And so okay. um, it didn't change the, the landscape of things too much, actually. And uh, that split also shouldn't make a huge dent in the tax revenues for the state because about 90% of the state population lives in those 29 counties, uh, which is kind of a, you know, surprising, um, you know, that number was surprising to me in terms of seeing like how concentrated uh, our, our population is as a right. state. But those are the figures are from the um, governor's office of budget and planning. And so one thing I'm curious about is whether, uh, you know, lawmakers or policymakers in the future are going to continue to embrace that kind of patchwork. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, this is uh, sort of an extreme version, but I mean, what if, uh, you know, in the future, does this mean that counties that um, didn't vote for our governor get to just not recognize Mm. that governor? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's there's another um, way to look at it, which is just how you know, dry counties are playing out in the South. And that's uh, maybe a better way to consider this than actually recognizing, like, state leaders. But, I mean, a wide majority of voters uh, passed this. I mean, it was a landslide. 58% in politics is is huge. And so, um, you know, I don't know if – I don't know if – I don't know how this is going to land out more – you know the other cons- the other part about this that's important to remember is like it's still a local decision and, and if um, you know voters petition in a red county to hold a special election that they, they can flip a county green and that um, that's available to any county but as long as the uh, the voters get that petition together and so we already saw that once with Dawson County Kari Fulton of Armadillo Buds um, just outside of Glendive had uh, you know, kind of been caught in this web, you know, the changing dates and the, and the um, sort of shifting of deadlines that the legislature did um, put her in a bad spot where she became a medical marijuana provider after November 3rd and um, uh, was lined up. But then after the changes, uh, she essentially basically had come into the, into the market too late. Too late. And so unless she had uh, gone to flip the county green, 
she would have had to liquidate her business by February. Right. And so um, she had gone out, uh, basically invested so much her husband's retirement account into this business to um, uh, go into business with her son, Lance, who um, is, is sort of the grower. It's sort of his passion project. And um, they would lose everything unless uh, she went out and, you know, flipped the county. And so they were able to do it on December 23rd. Um, they held that special election and uh, the majority of Dawson County voted to, to, rec- to legalize recreational cannabis sales and um, add a 3% local tax. So um, I'm curious to see how Red counties going forward will kind of maybe reconsider uh, their place if, if they want to um, get some of that tax revenue. Right. And so, yeah, yet to be seen. Hmm. Seaborn, we spoke with a couple law enforcement officials about the pivot to recreational cannabis sales. Um, what did they say about how they keep up with the new laws um, and that shift for people to be able to consume cannabis? Yeah, it's like um, anytime something comes off the books, right, it's up to a law enforcement to be up to speed on those laws. And so this is a pretty big shift. And I think one of the more interesting perspectives we got in reporting out this whole series was... Uh, from Bozeman Police Chief Jim Veltkamp. You know, he was on that uh, multi-county, multi-jurisdictional drug task force about a decade ago when um, law enforcement raids were just sweeping through the industry in a pretty public way. You know, I think a lot of people remember um, around 2011 when uh, these raids happened. And, you know, at that time, there wasn't a lot of regulation from the state, and that kind of fostered this environment where we saw, you know, a couple um, couple. I would say bad actors really right. taking advantage of, um, you know, gaps in the law, but it was still very much illegal at the federal level. And these drug task forces kind of cracked down on that when, um, you know, maybe sometimes it wasn't always clear to local law enforcement what was and what wasn't illegal. And so Chief Veltkamp said at that time, laws really weren't clear for law enforcement, but, um, you know, the legalization bill that lawmakers passed you know, started off as several hundred pages long and eventually got whittled down, but it's still pretty comprehensive mm-hmm. in a lot of areas, uh, particularly what is and it is is not uh, legal. And so Veltkamp said, you know, that kind of clarity allows law enforcement to properly do its job. And, you know, we talked to Sheriff Wynn Meehan in Broadwater County, and that's a rural county in one of these red counties that we talked about. And so I was curious about his take on where problem areas are going to be, you know, um, it's a... It's a rural county, which means there's a, there's a lot of highway traffic through right. there. Between Helen and Bozeman, um, I think it's how most people know Broadwater County. And so um, as, as far as drivers go, a lot more officers are getting certified to um, identify drug use. You know, the Post Council here in Montana told us they are seeing more um, classes happening and they're certifying more officers. But around town, um, you know, Sheriff Meehan mostly expects to peep mostly – what he's expecting as a problem area is just uh, people <laughs> stepping out of the bar after they've had a couple of drinks and trying to smoke a bowl, and, you know, you can't do that. Right. So, Seaborn, on the matter of law enforcement, uh, legalization means people who have been convicted of low-level marijuana crimes should be able to clear those from their right. records, right? Yep. So wh- how do we, what do we know what's going on with that so far? You know, um, yeah, and this is important because just because cannabis is legal now doesn't really mean that that charge just magically disappears um, from your record. There's an expungement process to go through that's 
supposed to be pretty simple. You know, you can petition the court uh, for an expungement of a crime that now follows under the category of a legal act. And unless prosecutors raise um, any you know, legitimate issues with it, the judge is supposed to presume that you've met the criteria for the expungement and grant that petition. So, you know, unfortunately, unless you're pretty savvy with the law and the courts, uh, that's pretty much meant that you need to get a lawyer to help that process along. Uh, the Supreme Court should pretty soon be releasing a form for people to use that essentially allows a person to move through that process without a lawyer. It's kind of like a checklist that's, you know, in the spirit of the law where um, rulings are, you know, as long as you check A, B, C, um, you know, and the prosecutor doesn't uh, speak up against it, the, the you should get a favorable ruling here. So the next thing the Supreme Court is looking at is uh, setting up a specialized expungement court. This is kind of similar to how you know, in this state, we have a special court for asbestos claims, um, you know, following the uh, vermiculite asbestos mining mm -hmm. disaster in Libby. In Libby. Um, you know, there's hundreds or thousands of these claims um, that are all similar enough that they can be handled by one court and, uh, you know, one judge who can get really familiar with that um, kind of this little section of law. And, and that way it doesn't gum up the rest of the system right, around right. the state. So the idea is similar here, but the cases we've found that have worked their way up to the Supreme Court, we've seen the details are really where these petitions live and die. How so? So, uh, for example, there's a case of Daniel Raritan. He's uh, out of Flathead County, and he was convicted in 2002 of, um, you know, manufacturing, essentially growing cannabis plants right. on the property um, back before legalization. So after... Uh, Montana voted to legalize. He petitioned the court to expunge that charge, and prosecutors challenged that petition. Um, under today's law, you can grow four plants, like we talked about, mm -hmm. two mature and two seedlings. But if you're renting or it's not your property, you have to have permission from the landowner to do that. Daniel Raritan did not have permission from the landowner to grow those plants, and in fact, it was the landowner who called the police on him. Mm -hmm. So the Supreme Court sided with the prosecutors and denied that petition for expungement. Oh, wow. Okay. So this sounds like cases are all going to have different facts and circumstances, um, but all will be connected to the same legalization law. So why hasn't the Supreme Court set this specialized court up yet? So the Supreme Court administrator, um, in speaking to a legislative interim committee, back in November, told lawmakers that um, there really hasn't been a surge in these expungement cases. So it's, you know, the court's still weighing whether hiring a separate judge or a standing master along with all the support staff would be a good use of tax dollars. Um, you know, since 2017, Montana has had an expungement um, provision in state law. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, and that allows people to clear misdemeanors off their record. It's sort of like a one-time you know, clean slate right. law is essentially what we're looking at. But, um, you know, that law would include most of the marijuana charges that just went off the books with legalization. So if anybody wanted to get those charges expunged, um, you know, chances are they could have already done that. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, Montana sees about 61,000 cases through um, its courts every year. And in 2020, there were only 135 of these expungement cases. And that's of you know, all charges, not just marijuana. So there's just not a way, big wave of people who are going after those expungements. And there are a couple of theories about why that might be. You know, most of these charges that are eligible for expungement are misdemeanors, so we're not really talking about charges that can, um, you know, 
kind of like get in the way or affect your job application or your housing application. You know, that's where felonies are really where people get dinged on that stuff. Right. And so I think now there's kind of the reality of, you know, how people's lives get turned around by these charges, you know, are really more intangible. And like, if you look at, you know, just getting uh, a charge and if you're not, or like a misdemeanor charge and if you're not familiar with the courts and it can seem like a big, it, huge intimidating, you know, machine to kind of step into, right. but people have to take time off of work to go to court, you know, maybe scale back on groceries to pay these fines that come with, you know, these charges. Sometimes it's just a few hundred bucks, but I mean, if you're low income and you have kids and mouths to feed, um, you know, a couple hundred bucks can kind of put you behind for a couple weeks or months, especially if you have a compounding incident, like a car crash or something on top of that. So, Mm -hmm. you know, um, we'll see if there's an increased interest in these expungement proceedings once the Supreme Court releases that um, you know, pro se self litigation form and just, and makes it so people don't even have to hire an attorney to go through this process. Um, if there's more interest, you know, then we're, we're I hope we're more likely to see that, um, specialized court to kind of handle these, um, you know, in, in, in batches rather than right. kind of scattered around the state. So an element of the law that's definitely still unfolding and Certainly. worth watching. Yeah. Um, and as we move into 2022, what are the things you'll be watching, um, you know, as the cannabis industry is kind of sorting itself out. Yeah, I think we're all going to be watching um, how inventory goes. Uh, you know, right now we're we're such we're so early in this process that you know we've heard uh, kind of stories about how how you know Oregon after they've legalized you know in the last year or so they've had um, kind of the opposite problem where they they right. overgrew oh, and, okay. that, and there was just so much. Um, so much inventory that prices hit the floor and then people are trying to get, you know, offloaded somewhere. So it's going out back doors. Right. And, um, and you know, here, uh, medical marijuana providers have been, uh, telling their patients to, to stock up now because, uh, it's really hard to guess where we're going to be in a month or six months, especially when tourist tourism season hits, Right. you know, and then. So inventory, I think, is going to be uh, a big one to keep our thumb on. And then, you know, how these providers specialize. And um, some people may just become a place for edibles or may maybe get into, mm-hmm. like, you know, gourmet joints or something like right. that. And, you know, I think the new horizontal market will be big and just seeing, you know, what kind of emerges from that. How the, how the industry manifests itself. Totally. And just kind of, you know, creates its own kind of landscape in terms of, like, what, what is available and what, um, what emerges as something that, you know, today... In January 2022, you know, in a year we're seeing products we didn't even know. Never would have imagined that sort of. Just because of the kind of the creativity that the horizontal integration allows. And so, you know, I'm also uh, really curious to see how the tribes engage Mm -hmm. with the market here, you know, or if they leave it on the table. You know, the state created um, these marijuana business licenses for each tribe to use and operate a dispensary within 150 air miles of the reservation. So the idea is that. They could open up shop um, in a green county if those reservations are surrounded by red counties, so they can they can set up a shop. But then, um, you know, allowing them to operate off the reservation allows them to hopefully protect their contracts mm-hmm. with the federal government. Um, you know, there wasn't much of an appetite for that this year, and uh, you know, we found out pretty late last year that there was some language in the law that appeared to kind of throttle down the tribal marijuana businesses. Mm -hmm. Um, But, 
that you know in middle of December was clarified by state lawmakers and the Department of Revenue. Um, so now they can scale up their operation just like anybody else who sells cannabis in Montana. And so um, the the idea of creating those licenses was to give tribes equal footing in the market and allow them opportunity um, just like anybody else in Montana. And so um, whether or not, you know, I've talked to a couple of sources around the state and it's, it's still just in discussion points right now because uh, we've, you know, we've seen different memos from the federal government that have, you know, um, one administration seems friendly to, um, you know, the tribes being able to engage in the market mm-hmm. and the next administration uh, sort of takes that away. Right now, the Biden administration is sort of um, signaled that, that marijuana is not going to be a priority for right. federal law enforcement. And so, um, but I mean, 2024 is just around the corner. We can see, you know, uh, new new messaging from the federal government in just that amount of time. So it's just going to be interesting to see, um, you know, who who's willing to take that risk and, and, right. and whether it pays off for them. And I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm going to be looking forward to watching that as well. All right. Well, thanks, Seaborn. There you have it, listeners. Um, so... If you're over 21, go find a Green County and buy some cannabis products if that's your thing. Um, certainly, certainly a a, a big shift, a, a big uh, a big change for Montana. End of um, prohibition. Yeah, it's an end of a prohibition. It's a historic um, time. So yeah, we'll be watching it um, and uh, make sure that if you want to keep hearing these podcasts, uh, subscribe wherever they're found. Thanks, Seaborn. Awesome. Thanks, Tom.